This episode of Primitive Culture is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the non-profit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. This is Tim Russ, Lieutenant Commander Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Open your mind to the past. Oh, this may mean something. It's a primitive culture. I'm just trying to blend in. Some people think the future means the end of history. We haven't run out of history quite yet. Hello and welcome to Primitive Culture, a Trek FM podcast all about our history, our culture and how Star Trek relates to it. I'm Duncan Barrett and today I'm joined by two very special guests. First of all, we have Tony Robinson from Continuing Mission. Yes, hi. Great to be here. Thanks, Duncan. How are you? (laughs) I'm very good, Tony. And also here we have Lee Hutchison, formerly of Earl Grey. Hello, how are you? (laughs) I'm good, I'm good. And we're meeting in a a very prestigious location. We're meeting in the bar of the Grosvenor Hotel in London, Victoria, which means we've actually somehow managed to realise that classic joke, an Englishman, (laughs) an Irishman and a Scotsman walk into a bar (laughs) and what do you get? The punchline is uh, Trek FM podcast, it seems. So great to see you both and uh, and great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. It's a nice plug for this hotel as well. So hopefully we'll get an extra round of drinks for free. uh, (laughs) (laughs) That'd be nice. Yeah, we'll see what happens but the reason we're here actually it's 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 appropriate really we're we're going to have a, a little chat about the ways that star trek uh in its 50 odd year history has represented our isles uh you know over um for the united states for the american audience primarily but right from the beginning we've had you know we've had scottish characters we've had scotty of course you know we've had irish characters like miles o'brien we've had plenty of english characters as well um and we've also had some specific episodes which really try to kind of tap into that kind of uh, that, that, that kind of culture and or these kind of cultures um, and try to represent those in the 23rd or the 24th century. Um, and I thought maybe we could start off um, talking about some of these episodes where there's this attempt to recreate uh, Scottish or an Irish environment, um, which I have to say are not, you know, th- these are not typically fan favourite episodes. I'll be interested to hear what you two have to say about them. But why don't we start with um, Sub Rosa, first of all. So this is the next generation. This is the, the Scottish planet, basically. Um, Lee, I'll hand over to you. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this uh. classic? <laughs> I recently revisited it and it kind of seemed very much like Fifty Shades Star Trek. I mean, (laughs) maybe I'm the only one that draws the parallel between this, but obviously Next Generation was predominantly mostly in the 90s. And I think almost this episode seems like an interesting companion to Seinfeld. Uh, It seems an odd connection, but I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld recently. And Seinfeld's all about these liberated female characters that just have promiscuous relationships. And we really ever kind of see that in kind of Star Trek women talking about romance, sexuality. And in this episode, we have our two female characters that do talk about that, Mm. talk about their relationships, their dreams, their passions, um, and, you know, borders on quite quite hot and steamy stuff, probably, what they're talking about. So I find that kind of interesting. It seems like an anomaly in Star Trek that you have women talking in such ways. Um, 
but it is a terrible episode. Um, I think it's got the problem that Star Trek has with a lot of alien races where they distill an entire planet and in this case, a nation down to its bare bones of mm-hmm. this is a, a you know a Scottish ghosts and you know passionate Scottish lovers. And that's a fine stereotype in my view. And it just seems to be like this is Scotland. They have kilts and they have. Well, I don't think they've got kilts actually, but they've got the bagpipes. They've got this Scottish culture and tradition, and it seems very much like a Scottish tradition that is only represented in tourist shops to sell kilts and tat and it bears no resemblance to any Scotland that I know or any Scots that I know at all so it's a a pretty awful episode in that respect you know the Scottish accents are okay but the idea that there's this planet which basically perpetrates Scottish stereotypes just seems very fitting in with Klingons are all warriors and Romulans are all duplicitous so they seem to have approached the Scottish culture in the same way. It's interesting that there's there's a discussion early on in the episode uh, where the, the guy who is an alien, so and Captain Picard says to him, you know, you're obviously not from Scotland yourself. Yeah. Um, and he talks about how he went to Scotland as a boy and it, it you know it meant something to him and he mm. felt like this this should be his home. So he went to this kind of basically Scottish Disneyland planet. <laughs> yeah. um, and there's this kind of interesting conversation where he's saying, you know, it was so important to us that we weren't just kind of, we weren't making a facsimile, we were making something authentic, we were making yeah. something real. And then you watch the episode and you're like, well, yeah, <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't have emphasised that point. Yeah. And you get that again with Fairhaven in Voyager. They they sort of go to great lengths to say how authentic it is. Yeah. And you're sitting there watching it thinking, well, you know, you're, you're not going to convince people just by saying course, it. Yeah. Uh, it, it. It feels totally plastic. It feels totally kind of inauthentic. Yeah. Um, and I think, yes, maybe the accents, I suppose, are all right. But the um, the guy who is the like sort of proper Scots character, who is the, the one who gets killed by the mm. ghost. Because uh, the ghost doesn't have a Scottish accent, weirdly. No. He has an English accent, which is, is kind of strange, given that he's meant to be the Scottish ghost. But he is like an absolute kind of stereotype of a, a sort of mad Scottish character, isn't he, that man? Well, know? I think it's one of these ones that does this... Uh, English ghost that's killed off represent how the Scottish people feel about the English government, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we could really dive deep into that sort mm-hmm. of uh, tangent. Yeah, I'll be on the back end of that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's a real sort of groundskeeper Willie type yes. character, that guy. I mean, he makes James Dewan's uh, presentation of Scottishness seem like totally realistic Absolutely, and naturalistic yeah. and kind of, you, you know, subtle. Really. Yeah, it's, it's just so bizarre that, as you say, it's this Disneyland version of Scotland that bears no resemblance to a Scotland that I know, you know, one that's rich in culture, it's diverse, whereas here it's just like, no, not at all. And it it's just becomes quite humorous. And I think, yeah... Like you watch it and it, it's one of these episodes that's so bad it's quite good to watch like I'll watch and I think oh, it's enjoyable enough to watch but you know if it's being put out there in Scottish uh, TVs you'd be looking at it going god this is really borderline <laughs> offensive or embarrassing and yeah. yeah I mean I've seen worse representations of Scotland on screen so it's not the worst in that respect but not the greatest right it's sort of curious is it is it a bad episode is, is it Scottishness part of what makes it bad? Or is it, would it, I mean, my feeling is it would probably be a terrible episode anyway. It's like the script is awful, the, the acting... I mean, and it's not their fault, really, but, like, necessarily the acting is not that great. It's kind of... It feels like there's, there's not really much about that episode that saves it. Apart from, as you say, the one thing that I do quite like about it is those conversations between Deanna and Beverly, yeah. which are quite explicit, really, yeah. where she's talking about this dream she had and how she'd never been touched like that before uh-huh. and so on. It's kind of... Definitely that's Bran and Braga pushing some, some kind of sexual boundary of course, there. Yeah. But at the same time, the whole sort of storyline around it is just so 
ridiculous. Yeah, it's um, this idea that Beverly crushes. She gets her one episode a season, it, but if that, and this is her episode that she falls in love with a ghost. Yeah, um, she leaves the Enterprise for a ghost, and Picard's almost just eye rolling every time. Well, I'm leaving. No, you're not. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not accepting yeah. this. And then, you know, he goes off with this ghost from a candle. And it's just like, I'd love to, like, I know it was a difficult final season. They're preparing for generations. They're wrapping up. Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. is on the go. But just the idea that they went, let's go with this episode. This is our final season. We need to get a Crusher episode on the board. What are we going to go with? Scottish Planet with a ghost? Yeah. Go for it. Sexy candle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah. yeah. It was, uh, it was definitely a strange one. They obviously don't remember having any conversations with Tasha Yar and fully functional data. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. So they obviously mm-hmm. uh, ruled that one out. Anyway. <laughs> mm. Well, it's also, it kind of seems to come out of nowhere for Prussia because this idea of this kind of Scottish ancestry, I don't think that's something no, that's ever been or ever mentioned, mentioned before. Again. I mean, or, yeah, or ever mentioned again. It's kind of... Um, I mean, we, we do know, I think, that her parents have died and that her grandmother brought her up, maybe. I think that's, that's mentioned right, yeah. early on in Next Gen. But certainly this whole kind of Scottish heritage It's probably the tenuous link is the red you know. hair. That's it. Exactly, She's got red hair. Exactly. Where must she be from? Scotland. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is interesting. We see, again, you know, just sort of jumping over to Voyager when we think about Fairhaven, you kind of get some of the same thing with Captain Janeway. And Captain Janeway, we're always finding out things about her past and her ancestors mm-hmm. and so on. And here we find out she had this, this aunt who lived in Ireland. She has these kind of Irish connections. And interestingly, I wonder whether that comes largely from Kate Mulgrew, because Kate Mulgrew's family were an Irish-American Catholic family and she is very invested in Ireland. If you read her, her autobiography, which I'd recommend, it's a really interesting, well-written book. She talks a lot about um, working in Ireland, about holidays she took to Ireland. She actually met her second husband, who she was with for, for many years, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of courting, I think, throughout the run of Voyager in Ireland. And so certainly for her, Ireland seems to mean something to her. Um, I got a quote from her, she, this was with an Irish publication, she said, I'm three or four generations removed, but I feel quite Irish. When I go there, I'm immediately transported back. I don't know, Tony, whether you feel, I mean, obviously, I know in America, there is this kind of sense, these sort of hyphenated identities, you know, you, you get these Irish Americans or, you know, or, or Scottish Americans, I suppose, or whatever. I always find it kind of strange to think how much of a connection can someone have to a country that they haven't been brought up in, that in many cases, they haven't you know, she had, she had visited Ireland, fine, but I mean, in a lot of cases, they haven't. But obviously, I think for the American audience and for the American writers and so on, that's something that is seen as very meaningful. Earlier in my career, I worked for the Irish airline Aer Lingus and got many opportunities through that to travel to the States. And whenever I was on a transatlantic crossing, uh, somebody would remind me that there's a great Irish heritage and um, love for Ireland in America. And in fact, one of the sentences uh, that commonly came across was, uh, there are more Irish people living in America than live in Ireland. And these would be first, second, third generation uh, Irish descendants. Um, And some Americans would claim to be more Irish than the Irish themselves. So there's definitely... um, a, the Irish have played a huge uh, or created a huge impact on American culture or added to it in a great degree and th- that would come across through uh, various movies actors uh, uh, if people are not familiar with the Abbey Theatre in Dublin uh, which is you know, one of the famous theatres in the world um, during the Second World War um, because, because of 
you know, uh, various uh, problems that were rising out of that, a lot of actors left Ireland and went to America. And their very presence acting in uh, various films uh, like Maureen O'Hara and uh, people like that, um, John Barrymore, they, they made that impact, which by extension then fed itself back into American culture. And somehow the circle has continued. They've managed to uh, propagate and re-propagate this Irishness. Somehow it's embedded in, in the American ideal somewhere. But, but is, I guess so my question, and I, and I do understand, like, obviously there is a real link, probably more so than with Scotland, there's certainly a link between Ireland and America because so many Irish people went to America, for example, during the potato famine, you know, there were, there were waves of immigration yeah. where go, getting to America was seen as a kind of escape from a very difficult life. And, and so a lot of people kind of made that, that sort of pilgrimage in a sense. Oh, oh sure, they, 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 but they would have hit the East Coast before yeah, they hit the absolutely. West Coast. I guess one of the things that I'm wondering about, though, is that, so from my perspective, and this is, you know, my perspective as an English person, so I get that for a lot of people in America, they have this family heritage, it means something to them, even say someone like Kate Mulgrew, it means something to them. But at the same time, when we look at the way that, say, an Irish village is presented in Star Trek, or that a Scottish planet is presented in Star Trek, it looks so unbelievably fake. It's kind of hard to reconcile that with... So I'm sure for Kate Mulgrew, with her Irish heritage, it was nice for her to play these Irish stories, but at the same time, that set... Well, it must be the same set they used when it was a French village in The Killing Game, right? It looks identical. It doesn't look to me anything like the island that I've visited. Um, I'm sure, Tony, it doesn't look to you very recognisable as a, an Irish community in any way. Oh, not at all. Um, I mean, there were... <laughs> elements of it that typically you would have seen it in a village at you know around the the, the, the beginning of the 1900s uh, which is possibly mm -hmm. when it's set and that would literally be dirt roads animals in the street and mm -hmm. a strange looking bicycle and a, a car that didn't quite work I, I'm not sure but um, I mean, there were elements of it that w were almost authentic the pub but then anytime Irish people are featured in, in, in some movie or even in Star Trek it's always going to end up in the bar somewhere so, <laughs> so uh, uh, just like we are here strange. just <laughs> like we are here that's well that's true how that's can we true. sneer at Star Trek yeah, it's not really exactly. a representation yeah, but, of Scottish and yeah. Irish people in a pub here yeah. we are <laughs> but at least I we should have. add I am having a cup of tea at least very good having a cup of tea though not a cup of Earl Grey tea no you he's, he's been, <laughs> a cup of English breakfast tea admonished. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean yes that's true but at the same time I guess that so that sort of leads on to another question. So there's the kind of the the authenticity or the inauthenticity of the uh, production design, which okay, fair enough. You know, we know they've got standing sets. We know it's kind of the back lot. Obviously, their back lot is going to look more convincing for you know an episode set in Chicago or New York or somewhere than it is for an episode set in 19th century Ireland. Okay, maybe we can give a bit of leeway. I suppose though, it does tie into that idea what you were saying, Lee, about this kind of tourist version of Scotland. You know, it's all the kind of beautiful, rather twee little green signs with Irish writing on them. It's all the yeah. kind of, there's something about it. It's all very, it, it does feel very Disneyfied. Um, and okay, fair enough. This is Tom Paris's version of Ireland. Who knows whether Tom Paris has ever been to Ireland. But again, there's in these episodes, this, this, there are these kind of conversations about, well, I wanted it to be authentic. I wanted it to be genuine. I didn't want to kind of mess around with things. And you sort of, 
I don't know. It, it makes me wonder to the American audience, does that read as authentic? Mm. Uh, do they think that's genuine somehow? Or do they recognise that it's a kind of bit of a twee fantasy in it's a probably way? probably Ireland or Scotland they would see in an Epcot centre or something like that where you go yeah. around all these different places yeah. and it's like, now here you are in Holland, here's the, the clogs and here you are now in Germany, enjoy mm. your, mm. you know, big hot dogs or strudel or something like that. It's just yeah. a, yeah, it's just not any sort of Ireland I would understand no no and, and, and the annoying parts of it are that it has a cartoonish mm. uh, feel to it um, it's definitely a cliche but the worst part of it all is that it, again it, it, it propagates um, a false idea of you know where we come from what we represent how far advanced the country is technologically architecturally cosmopolitanly mm-hmm. um, all these things and, um, and 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 it's always seems that it harks back to these cliches where people will say begorod or drink a, a glass of whiskey and there'd be some playing an accordion in the background or something um, all uh, now you know in Fairhaven okay they were representing a turn of the century turn of the 19th 20th century uh, sort of village and so there wasn't any technology that you could identify with so you could get away with a certain degree of license to do with that um, but at the same time this is in the 90s you know this is when Ireland was really emerging as a kind of tech uh, country wasn't oh, it you know giant, you ha- it you was know. a real economic boon and it was all to do with technology and yeah. kind of you know it was a very it was a period where Ireland was really stepping forward, in a sense, uh, into the future. And, and yet the version that we have in Star Trek, of course, is this very uh, sort of traditional... Uh, 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 Balakas Angel style. Well, exactly, Balakas Angel style. Or watching some of those episodes, it was the Vicar of Dibley, was what I was thinking yeah. of, which is not set in Ireland, obviously, but that kind of approach they... to rural life, which is so, like you say, cartoonish, silly, yeah. kind of totally lacking in in grit somehow if they, um, if they had and it's gotten, a shame to to lose that somehow yeah, i think it is yeah there's an american writer who lives in ireland who wrote a book called spock's world oh okay yeah 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 um and i think she knows enough about uh, what life is like in ireland uh, mm. to, if she had been on the staff and 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 had said no you you can't do that you can't say that you, you have to you know do, do it this way that way i think she would have kicked backsides right yeah yeah. straighten a few people out and whatever the one thing that gets me and possibly gets lee as well um is that when they when people open their mouths to speak in an irish or scottish accent on on these shows there's no known dialect known there's no dialect known to man that remotely resembles what (laughs) where these people come from i'd like to know what part of Ireland do these people actually come from? Because they'd like to go there and say, yeah. you, you really speak this way? I can see Dublin from 50 miles away here or right. something like yeah, that. Yeah. I can't remember how, like, there was some sort of geometry where it was like, <laughs> well, actually, this places them in Northern Ireland or something like that. Yeah. There, there was some bizarre, <laughs> th- I can't remember where they... That's really now, that's interesting, because to me as an English person, actually, that's one of the things I was sort of on the lookout for, re-watching those Fairhaven episodes. And indeed up the long ladder as well. And to me, the accents actually didn't seem too bad. I mean, compared to sometimes where you hear Americans doing English accents mm-hmm. and they sound very, they sound yeah. Australian yeah, typically. Yeah. They, they, they sound very yeah. fake because uh, it's, I think that's quite a difficult transition. And I think some of those actors, I mean, the guy who plays uh, Catherine Janeway's boyfriend, Michael, 
has a he's called Fintan O'Toole or something. Yeah. He's got like he, he seems to be at least have an authentic Irish heritage. Yeah, yeah. Um, his accent seemed quite believable to me. I don't know about to you, but that's kind of interesting. That sort of gets into a whole other level of specificity and. You know, and I don't know whether for the American characters in Star Trek, you know, does Riker have a convincing Alaskan accent? Does um, does Ash Tyler have a convincing uh, Washington State accent? I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I sort of buy into all of that. I buy into, you, you know, Trip Tucker's Southern mm. accent, even though um, the actor is not, I don't think, from the South, is he? Mm. So, yeah. so in some ways, there's, yeah. there's the specificity of accents. Then there's the idea of a kind of standard American accent. So maybe it's, I don't know, maybe... You know, that doesn't bother me, but at the same time, the only English characters that we've seen in Star Trek all have uh, received pronunciation accent, mm-hmm. pretty much. You know, you don't really get any regional English accents no. in Star Trek either. I suppose you never get that sort of right in Scotland. Okay, this is someone that's got an Aberdeen accent, and, mm. you know, I, I know Jason Isaac said his was an Edinburgh accent when he right. did put it on. When, in, as local. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it, yeah I, I was wondering the, if you were going to... That was a pretty good accent. I thought it was very good. Yeah, I thought it was one of the best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think it was after Trek they said it was Edinburgh-based. Well, I'm right. from Edinburgh. Admittedly, I've, only been, I've lived there 12 years, and Edinburgh does have an amalgamation where it's very... Englishy sounding yeah. and Scottish mm-hmm. accent compared mm-hmm. to Glasgow, which is more that thicker, you know, the train spotting style one where it's yeah. really come from the back of the throat. Kind of Aberdeen, which kind of has been associated with Scotty quite a bit, is a bit more of a thicker kind of country accent. And the same with England, you know, we're in, we're in London and it changes, you know, tube stop to tube stop, mm-hmm. you know, the accent. So you never sort of get that nuance of someone going, oh, I'm going to really throw myself into a, a Brummie role or, you know, yeah. a Northern role. Um, so, yeah, you, you never get that in any of the... the but that's, shows. see, it's the accent that sells it. If Michael in Fairhaven had spoken uh, with w- what I would say, yeah, that's definitely a dialect from some part of Ireland because I have to say... Being from Ireland myself, I think I'm pretty familiar with the sure, different, yeah, yeah. you know, sounds from west coast to east coast, from north to south. I th- obviously for American audiences, it maybe it just has to be generic. I don't know, mm. but if it was more uh, identifiable, then I, for me, it would sell it. It would say I would sit sit back and say, oh, that guy is definitely definitely from Ireland. Yeah, and if it turned out he wasn't, then he was from. Saskatchewan or something, <laughs> then you'd well, be could, impressed. Could, uh, yeah. yeah, I'd be yeah, impressed. Yeah. That's because there are a few a- actors who, who, well, I guess because their parents were Irish, they know how to mimic the sound and the feel. But you'd swear blindly were born and raised in a small town mm-hmm. in the west of Ireland. Um, Miles O'Brien, is it? Can we bring Miles? Yeah, O'Brien absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Colin Meany, obviously. Uh, if people haven't seen anything else, Colin Meany's been in. Uh, but then they're missing out. Then yeah. they're missing out. Definitely. What about the crossover between people that watch Star Trek and have seen Die Hard Two as well? That is. <laughs> I was wondering like. if you'd mention Die Hard Two because he's the captain of is yeah. it the doomed plane? Yeah, Windsor Windsor One O Two. Alan Partridge, the movie as well. Yeah, uh, and well, and he was uh, he does a Welsh accent in the Englishman who went up a hill and came down a mountain. Right, yeah. that one. That's an interesting yeah bit of accent work going on uh, off slightly off topic but the actor whose name I'm going to forget now who's in Game of Thrones uh, who plays uh, with a Geordie accent I've never watched Game of Thrones is actually from Dublin and when you hear him speak 
Right. It's, uh, it, it's frightening. It's like he's switch. Mm. Hang on, which accent is he <laughs> portraying? The Dublin yeah, one or yeah. the Geordie one? But it's, it's Dublin accent. Is, uh, well, is I think a lot of American viewers were surprised to hear Jason Isaacs talking in his English accent. Yes. If they, you know, maybe if they hadn't seen Harry yeah. Potter and they only knew him from Discovery. I mean, again, like to me, his American accent sounds great. Uh, I don't yeah. know whether to an American audience, obviously it works mm. because they were surprised by mm. it. So, um, well, a bit like is, Hugh Laurie when he went in yeah. and he did his accent in house. That, Although that, when I that, watch that, it feels completely fake. Yeah. Yes. American accent. That's the weird thing. But it yes. must be because I know Hugh Laurie doesn't sound like that. No, Do you I know, know what I mean? And, Benedict and Cumberbatch and Doctor Strange. It took me about half an hour to yeah, adjust yeah, to Benedict Cumberbatch. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm a hand surgeon. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, no, I'm, just Benedict Cumberbatch in Doctor Strange took me a whole, <laughs> yeah, whole movie yeah. to adjust to the fact that he was there. Yeah. But um, no, uh, Carl Meany, uh, genuine uh, Dublin born and bred actor mm. now appearing in Star Trek and not faking an American accent mm. but he is making his Dublin accent very gentle so it doesn't you know jar on the air because some Dublin dialects can do that in the same way that some Glaswegian accents mm. can do it or people from Belfast have a real like West Belfast have a real thick uh, um, accent too that can you know sounds harsh. Up- upset your eardrums um, apologies to all our <laughs> Belfast and <laughs> Glaswegian listeners, but uh, and O'Brien, I suppose, uh, is, is an interesting kind of counterpoint to Scotty, if you if you think of it in that way. I mean, you know, Scotty is a bit of a cartoonish version of a mm. of a Scots yeah. person. He's not, you know, he's not played by a Scottish actor. Initially, he's played by a Canadian actor. Then, in the more recent films, he's played by an English actor whose accent I think is more accurate. Yeah, right? well, it's Simon Pegg's wife is. But, from Glasgow. I see, okay. So, so that, that probably helps. Yeah, I think yeah. he said that he'd done quite a bit of research I into bet, the yeah. accent. But I, yeah. I almost think the difficulty is it's hard sometimes to judge his accent because he is Simon Pegg from yeah. Space, yeah, yeah, Fuzz, yeah. Cornetto, everything like that. Yeah. And hearing his accent and then knowing that's a fake one, it, it's difficult to separate the two and You're judge kind it. kind of aware of Yeah, the, I'm like, that was like oh, that's Simon Pegg putting on a Scottish accent. Yeah. And it's, it's okay, it's fine, it's good, it's good. And I, I think, you know, as a kid, you know, growing up, James Doohan, it was a shock to find out as a kid he was Canadian. I always thought, oh, that's, that's a Scottish accent. So you bought it as a Scottish child? You yeah, bought yeah. his Scottish accent, really? Yeah, 100%. Okay. That's you interesting. Know, but that's with amazing. a name like Doohan, it yeah. must have some, you know, background oh, to yeah. it. He's obviously, if you're going to be the chief engineer on board the Enterprise, was it... Uh, uh, they chose it because he traditionally cho- engineers ah, were Scots. Yeah, right. he, yeah, yeah. he got to yeah. pick his accent and he said that's why he wanted to do it was Scotland had this history yeah. um, of being creators, inventors, you know, some of the greatest yeah. pieces of technology in the world, like television that we'll all enjoy discovery on tomorrow, mm-hmm. came from Scots. <laughs> um, so he felt that was a normal transition to go from... from Everybody will be wondering who you're referring to, so keep them guessing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Look it up. <laughs> I don't know if we will be enjoying discovery on television though, will we, if it's streaming? You've got to watch it on a television or a, well, or a laptop. Lots yeah, of people watch of course, it on a laptop. Yeah. But yeah, no, I take your point, definitely. And also, uh, James Dewan's accent was based on a particular man that he knew when he was uh, serving, wasn't yeah. it? That, a man from Aberdeen that mm-hmm. he, he worked with yeah. and that he kind of got to know quite well. So right. it was he was obviously like storing accents because he was a bit of an accent guy. Yeah. He was a bit of a voice guy. He was sort of storing these accents that he could use later on. Um, it's quite controversial. I say controversial in the lamest way, but like there is controversial 
controversy in Scotland about where he truly came from. You know, mm-hmm. I think some show notes said it was Linlithgow, which is stone's throw away from Edinburgh, 15 minutes on the train. And then in Aberdeen, I think it's the Wolf in the Fold, he mentioned his drinking days, much like me as a teenager, we're in Aberdeen. Um, so there's often been this thing, where's Scotty born? There was talk that they were going to make a Scotty statue in Aberdeen. It's never happened, but it's a tight-fisted local council, I, can, I should say. You're allowed to oh, say that. We, we, we wouldn't get away yeah. with that. I, uh, as uh, someone that paid taxes in that region, I, I, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then Linlithgow, more claim it, they actually have in, I've yet to see it, I have no excuse why I haven't, but they apparently have a little Scotty museum in a local area. Oh, and wow. last year, a couple of years ago, bizarrely, they showed Wrath of Khan in a castle in Linlithgow, that's just a tribute to Scotty. And I tried so hard to get tickets for that, but they did a ballot. I missed out. I sent an email complaining. Still didn't get a ticket. Um, and they had an introduction from Nicholas Meyer. And this was there to say, you know, a tribute to Scotty and everything right. like that. So there is uh, definitely a lot of people trying to claim Scotty in, uh, in Scotland as, as one of their own. Well, I'm going to go with Lynn Lithgow. Um, and based on the fact that um, Chris Dewan and I've told this story on another podcast, but it's worth repeating. Chris Dewin was invited by the mayor of Lynn Lithgow to, uh, to a ceremony honoring the birthplace of Montgomery Scott. And the mayor uh, drove, uh, drove him from the airport to his hotel. And during the, conver- during the journey, the conversation went along the lines of um, James Dewin's uh, Scottish accent. And the mayor asked Christopher, his James's, uh, Jimmy's son, uh, would he mind uh, doing an announcement in the accent? Chris said, I can't do a Scottish accent. Uh, and the mayor laughed and said, neither could you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So, uh, I think they're well aware of some of the short... Some of the some issues. Of the failures. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll go with Lynn Lithgow uh, as the birthplace, purely because they put more effort in than Aberdeen did. Right. And there is a museum, right. and they did show the Wrath of Khan. Fair enough. So catch up, Aberdeen. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 Aberdeen's got a bit of work yeah. to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of interesting. I guess maybe just moving on slightly from talking about the accents to talking about these characters I mean Scotty obviously is a wonderful character Uh, on the other hand he has negative attributes which appear to be connected to stereotypes about his Scottishness Mm. his his drinking problem he's basically an alcoholic Um, and and with O'Brien again I think you get a kind of it's maybe not quite as pronounced as with Scotty, but there is a sense that, yes, O'Brien is allowed to have an Irish accent, but O'Brien is, he's, you know, he's not really an officer. He's not part of the kind of um, best and the brightest of Starfleet. He's kind of this this kind of more earthy guy who mucks about with machines. You know, he's a genius in his own sphere, but at the same time, he's kind of separated from the rest of it. It kind of reinforces that a bit. And I mean, I don't know if you guys um, have seen that Roddy Doyle Star Trek, uh, yeah. that, that kind of yeah, online cartoons, uh, thing, yeah. which is basically cartoons of, of O'Brien uh, <laughs> with a filthy anyone. mouth yeah, and, and as a complete alcoholic um, yeah. and, and you know, with a relationship with Keiko, which is even worse than it was in real life or in, you know, fictitious real life. But so I, I suppose it's interesting. I think O'Brien is a great character, but does he sometimes skirt a little bit close to elements of stereotype? Or do you think it's fair enough that he is a, is he a believable Irishman and there's, and that's not so much an issue as it maybe was with um, Scotty? What do, you, what do you think? Well, I think Miles O'Brien is, is closer to being a real Irish 
uh, character, mm -hmm. forgetting the fact that he, as a person, he's actually Irish, but he, he's playing an Irish character in, 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 on a show. Um, I think he does play it with a certain amount of gravitas, and the fact that he could relax and just speak mm. in his normal accent, and he doesn't have to think about what the next inflection on it was, was going to be, you know, is it going to be up or down, or, you know, yeah, yeah. whatever. So he's much more relaxed, and I find him believable uh, in that sense, uh, comfortable in his, in his role. So, yeah, I... The thing, the only thing I didn't like, the only, there was one aspect of, of Miles's, Miles O'Brien's character, not an aspect of it, sorry, something he had to do, which I really cringed at, and that was when he sang The Minstrel Boy. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Because for many people, that's a kind of favourite moment. I yeah, think it is, that, it but, is. And, yeah. and, and uh, you'd almost find somebody uh, doing that at almost any day of the week in, in a pub in the mm. west of Ireland. Uh, but on a starship, uh, slightly out of context, <laughs> yeah. I just thought, what the heck? And and I don't know whether um, Colomini is a good singer or not, but maybe he just wasn't a good singer. I mean, he did it with gusto, you know. But, uh, I thought you were going to say him singing Jerusalem, which yeah. is maybe more surprising. You know, it's kind of English anthem that yeah, he and Bashir are yeah, singing yeah, together. William, William Blake, and yeah. I, I kind of assume he's singing it for Bashir's benefit. Yeah. But, then uh, but I'm not but too he seems surprised. Quite into yeah, because <laughs> you always think with O'Brien is that he very much embraces quite a bit of what you class as English culture. You know, uh -huh. the idea that they're reenacting the Battle of Britain. Yeah. Not something people in Scotland particularly follow interest in. It's more of that sort of, you know, that... Well, interest it's certainly not people in Ireland. No. you know, they were neutral in the war, right? Yeah. I mean, they didn't... We, we had, according to the movie uh, credits, we had eight uh, pilots in the RAF. Ah, okay, okay, fine, uh, right, okay. Well, there you go, so O'Brien had to <laughs> select a cadre to yeah. choose from. And it there, just always but, seems that things yeah. like with Jerusalem, I remember watching that thing, and like, that's probably the unofficial anthem of England you yep. would associate with yeah, the yeah, cricket, yeah. last night at the proms, and then there's O'Brien's the Institute. Yeah, just swinging his arms away, singing it, and it's like, it's a bit, bit bizarre. But is that an instance Did anyone of... see the on-cut scene from um, Generation, not Generation, from Star Trek, The Next Generation, where data, uh, the, the one that was, the, the, the episode that was banned by the... Oh, US, the United uh, oh, yeah, Ireland. Yeah, 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 I was going to mention that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the scene that they didn't show was when data said that, that was when the IRA were defeated. And, mm -hmm. you know, was, you know, in the background, Miles was going, yes! Really? <laughs> Surely not. I tell you when I feel sorry uh, for Colmini. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's a scene, in if you watch up the long ladder, which maybe we can come talk about in a minute, the scene where he, because he's the transporter op operator, he has to beam in all these Irish stereotypes mm. with their yeah. pigs and their and their sheep and yeah. you know all these yeah. animals. And there's there's quite a good shot on him because uh, uh, and there's it's an interesting moment to watch because obviously the scene calls for Miles O'Brien to be a bit disdainful and a bit shocked at these people. <laughs> it's just a little moment in that shot where you kind of think you can see Colmini kind of ever so slightly rolling his eyes yeah. at this awful script and this awful episode that he's in. Yeah. And like, what the hell have I let myself yeah, in? That's right. <laughs> How dare you do this to yeah. my people? Exactly. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, I suppose that's something just to, to maybe to, to, to step slightly into that area. I guess one of my issues with with the presentation in, in the Fairhaven stories, also to some degree in Sub Rosa, is that the, the Irish characters or the Scottish characters, they do fall to, into a fairly narrow stereotype in, in a way that maybe Scotty or Miles yeah. O'Brien are more developed, they're uh -huh. more real characters. But, you know, certainly in Fairhaven, 
they, they play into this idea of, you, you know, drunkards and idiots and sort of simpletons. And do you, you know what I mean? The way the villagers act, they're very superstitious. They're all in the pub the whole time. They're drinking too much. There's the guy who's basically a scrounger and is constantly asking Tom Paris for money to go and get drunk. Um, and even Michael Sullivan, who, you know, is a more positive uh, presentation generally, as soon as Janeway dumps him, they, 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 he, he sounds like he goes completely nuts. You know, you know, he's off the rails. He's this kind of emotional child, basically, parading around. The whole, the whole hologram, mm. holo fantasy disintegrates mm. because he can't deal emotionally no. with, with something like that. And I think that is, a, you know, these are dangerous stereotypes yeah. in a way that are kind of being invoked to some degree. And again, in Sub Rosa, there's this, you know, the superstitious, mm. uh, backward uh, Scottish guy who actually is the, is the only one who knows what's really going yeah. on, you know, talking about ghosts and so on, and everyone else thinks he's, he's this kind of idiot. Uh, you know, Star Trek is not being massively sensitive around these kind of stereotypes and it's, in these I think episodes. It's, it's, we talk about the British Isles here in England, Ireland and Scotland, but I think it's a problem they've had always with Europe. Mm. You know, we have the Irish bar, no, the, the French bar in um, Voyager Season 1, a lot yeah. of French yeah, yeah, characters. Yeah, yeah. And I always think, you know, if I was a German fan, and Star Trek has a big fan base in Germany, mm. they have their convention there all the time. I mean, I, I had a, a dear friend that was, you know, half German, and any time Germany seems to be represented in films, whether it's Star Wars, you know, it's evoking the Nazis, Star Trek, any time you want to see a German on it, they are either an alien that is collaborating with the Germans, uh, it is fascism, it's the German Nazis, and Star Trek evokes Nazis numerous times, whether it's the killing game, and, you know, Stormfront, of various episodes, it's like, mm. and people are like, well... You know, we're complaining about how our culture is represented. It's like this narrow <laughs> culture of like Scotland of a time past, Ireland of a time past. You know, the only way it seems modern sometimes of Ireland is you know this idea of a united Ireland. So it's an Ireland yeah. perhaps of the future. Whereas in others, it's like what's well, the Germans of the past? And if, for Star Trek to be the show, that's like, well, let's get the Germans back in. Well, who are they this time? They're the Nazis. Not just that you've got a German con officer. It's a German that's working, you know, in holodeck. It's no, the German that's the Nazi. Do, that's do, do you not think that because um, the idea of an actor in Star Trek appearing as a Nazi, that they had to carry that forward almost as a, an homage? Like, so when Spock dressed up in a Nazi uniform in one episode. Mm. They're, maybe they're just referring back to that as a... I would say if it was... He established the... Uh, but if it was one-off, you could understand it. It was almost the with Ireland, you know, Ireland. You can go, well, if Fairhaven's one episode, but then it's two episodes where the stereotypes continued, and then you've got up the long ladder. And with the Germans, it's like, well, they've done that once, yeah. and they do it in, again in Voyager, then they do it again yeah. in Enterprise, and it's like... There are other Germans, you know, the Germans are your fan base. Give the, we always talk about we need representation yeah, in Star yeah. Trek. Give that to the Europeans the as well, you know. Well, you've got yeah. a French character, you know, but he's basically... But he's not in, French. Yeah, he's English. <laughs> yeah. There's everything about Patrick yeah. Stewart's performance is English. It's Down not like... the old grey team. Yeah, you, know, you yeah, don't yeah. have him as a French captain embracing perhaps French culture with drinking some wine mm, here and there. Yes. And then you've got the Germans, which are reduced to the Nazis. And it just seems to be this problem that, you know, America, as you mentioned, is an, it's a country built based on immigrants. And then it's their portrayal of these people who are ancestors to a lot of people that are watching Star Trek in America and abroad, where it's like, oh, so I'm a Nazi, I'm a, you know, a drunkard, I'm this Irish stereotype, I'm this English dandy. Where's the, where's the nuance? Where's the normal people? I suppose there's that question, isn't there? I mean, A, whether those kind of identities are flattened to some degree. 
but also, you know, I suppose there's an element of loosely speaking what we might call cultural appropriation mm. and you know I, I, there are probably more serious issues about of cultural appropriation in, in american culture and in star trek you know i'm thinking of say native american cultural yeah. appropriation but there is an element of that when you look at these you know say creating holodeck programs set in this kind of twee irish fantasy or even set, creating a disneyland scottish planet mm-hmm. there is this kind of idea of taking this culture and sort of absorbing it for for entertainment or for mm. some kind of pleasure in it yeah. without necessarily being aware of any kind of real question about the authenticity of it or, or being real yeah. or, or, or honest to that somehow. Um, and I don't want to... I, I feel like we're sort of bashing these episodes. I mean, to be honest, I think a lot of the these episodes don't work... They probably wouldn't work anyway. They're just lousy episodes, yeah. broadly speaking. And, they, you know, they have positive points. They're not just bad because of the way that they present these things. And I'm sure there are other people, mm. you know, from other parts of the world who might feel the same way about representation in, in different contexts. And I guess we have to be realistic. You know, we're Star Trek fans in England or, or, or in Ireland or in Scotland. Um, and we're not the ones making this product. It is an American product. It always has been and it always will be. But... I think it's an interesting point you raise, say, about the German fans. I mean, Germany is the biggest export market for Star Trek in the world. And it's true that that has never been taken on board within kind of canonical Star Trek output, I don't think. On the other hand, I sort of feel like it's tricky because, you know, I'm a historian. I write a lot about the Second World War. It's, it's, it's not so strange for me to think of Germany in those mm-hmm. terms because that is the, those are the terms that I generally yeah. think of Germany. Um, but I think, uh, I agree, it's something that they can make more effort in a way to do. Um, I mean, it's interesting. The one place that we do see in Star Trek in the, you know, in inverted commas, present is London. We do see in, in yeah. Star Trek Into Darkness, we see 23rd century London. Mm-hmm. And um, Lee pointed out before we started recording uh, it's interesting. You actually see the Union Jack flying in London. Um, Sorry, Union flag. You know, is Union there? flag. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Uh, apparently, we're not allowed to call it the Union Jack unless we're, we're on board ship. On <laughs> but you, you ship, know, we yeah. see the British flag basically flying in London, which is strange because, um, and I think it's alongside the United Federation of Planets flag. But yeah. that suggests that these kind of nations, these nation states, or whatever you want to call them, still exist mm-hmm. alongside. Uh, the kind of broader that, political that, that, that was the only reason you see that in Into Darkness is because Brexit was successful. <laughs> <laughs> you reckon? <laughs> I just Good thought I'd throw that in. But, but Lee was I'll pointing out that this was that Into Darkness was coming out around the time of the Scottish yeah, referendum, right? Yeah. And that, that therefore it was making quite a big assumption that Scotland wasn't going to leave Britain mm-hmm. because obviously if Scotland left, we'd have to change our yeah. flag as well because we'd have to remove the Scottish yeah. chunk of it. So that's kind of an interesting question as well. And I suppose there's always been with Star Trek this kind of lingering question of how do these existing nation states of Earth, you know, we know that there's some kind of global, like some kind of Earth government. We know obviously there's a government beyond that. There's a federation government. But how do these, what does it mean to be French or what does it mean to be, you, you know, whatever. And I think when it, uh, with this sort of, when you've seen that sort of, you know, America, the, the Union flag uh, represented <laughs> on the screen. Guys. And it, it just, it made me chuckle because the Scottish leader at the time, Alex Salmond, is historic, is a well-known Star Trek fan. Yes. And uh, Star Trek Voyager is his favourite series. And after the vote for to remain in the UK, uh, he said that if it wasn't honoured, the UK government would face a wrath like that from the wrath of Khan. That, and he was quoted in the front page of the Scottish Sun yes, was, 
Alex Salmon quoting Star Trek, you know, this Wrath of Khan. And it's this idea that, you know, Star Trek culture is well known within the UK, that they could make that a front page headline and go, people will understand what that's meaning. Well, it is the whole, I mean, the whole, you know, Scottish independence referendum, the whole Brexit phenomenon as well is very much something that... I don't know if we've seen it much in Star Trek. There was a Star Trek novel that was quite interesting um, about uh, a planet that wanted to secede from the Federation. So very much like we have with Brexit now, really, the kind of political ramifications of should you... How does the Federation cope if someone wants to leave, basically? And in that novel, it, the, the kind of there was a historical context, which was that... Uh, it was a TNG novel, Picard and Alexander, you know, Alexander was a little boy at the time, were learning about the, the War of Independence. So the context in that was America becoming independent from Britain. Mm-hmm. And basically Picard in that story was by going through that process, which again is very complicated because, you know, Picard is French, but at the same time he's English. <laughs> so, you know, which side of this war is he is he really on? But, you know, notionally he's French. Um, but anyway, by looking at this kind of historical parallel it gave him more sympathy to this planet that wanted to secede, even though obviously the Federation don't really... That's, that's not what... Yeah. We like the idea the Federation is growing, people want to join, mm. not the idea that people want to leave. Mm. And I suppose the same is true with Europe. You know, with Europe, for many years, the debates have been around letting new countries in, sort of broadening that the scope of that family. And now we've got this situation where, you know, we're leaving, other countries may be thinking about leaving, and that whole thing, you know, could be kind of mm. disintegrating. And I know that's something that... In terms of future Star Trek and future Star Trek series, some people have, have pitched mm. versions of Star Trek where the Federation is kind of collapsing and, and you know, there is more of that kind of move to, to disintegrate it. It's kind of... So I suppose it sort of plays into all these things. And, you know, from the very beginning, we had this, you know, multicultural crew. We had this idea of these characters who were, all, you know, from different parts of Earth, at least, but they were all part of one kind of political unity mm. in a sense that didn't exist at the time um, and you know it doesn't exist now to the extent that we see it in Star Trek I suppose we see a bit of that in Star Trek 6 the idea of like we're going to have to expand to bring in the Klingons the old enemy mm. and the, you know the Russian parallels um, I suppose they've not really seen much representation in Star Trek either would be the Russians um, but the, the, the idea of Russian history Russian uh, has always been sort of infused in Star Trek in the beginning you know we've got Russian uh, crew members you know but we don't see that as a history we get a touch of a bit of them vodka invented you know these sorts of things but then Russians with the fall of the um, you know Chernobyl all these different things in the communism that's all run through Star Trek for so many years but very little actual representation of what it's like to be a Russian a mm. normal person well and Worf as well you know Worf's yeah. parents being Russian is kind of interesting I don't know where Worf grew up exactly but what impact did that have on his sense of who he was you know it's not just being Klingon it's also mm. being you know is there that kind of well, Russian cultural that, yeah. perspective we don't yeah exactly we don't tend to think about that um, and I think it's interesting we tend to sort of assume that a lot of the Star Trek characters are you know so that someone like Geordie is a kind of African American character but actually I don't think he is I'm pretty sure somewhere it's specified that Geordie was born in Mogadishu you know um, Uhura is, speaks Swahili you mm-hmm. know she doesn't speak English as a first language so it's this kind of there's a, a level of homogenization in terms of the assumption of the audience mm. but actually often Star Trek is kind of being quite specific and saying these people are coming from all over Earth yes. in this kind of future version of Earth of course we don't see it because we see San Francisco mm. uh, we see you know a random vineyard in France yeah. <laughs> we, we see London briefly but that's about it so we don't really 
get much sense. You, you know, we don't go to Ireland in the in Star Trek's time period. Sadly, we don't we don't go to Scotland yeah. in Star Trek's time period. In the novel, in some of the novels, right? So then we not, might not, yeah, not yeah. on screen. I yeah. suppose maybe yeah, it's yeah. that globalization thing of like you're part of the Federation, you've got these different things, but where do people consider themselves from? Oh, I'm from Earth. Yeah. But I live in France yeah. or something. Yeah. I, I yeah, like yeah. the idea of suggesting that, you know, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I am from Mars, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Idea. But cultural identity will will probably sit with us for centuries to come. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know that it'll ever be ruled out. No. It, it's one of the scary parts, I mean, and one of the things possibly driving Brexit as we speak is mm-hmm. that the loss of cultural identity. I know that. Uh, in Ireland, when Ireland um, joined the uh, European Union, uh, I remember someone saying to me, uh, almost like a quip, they said, um, you don't realise it yet, but you just signed away your sovereignty. And uh, at the time, I I didn't understand what that meant. But over time, you kind of do, because of all the, you know, the troubles with people wanting to control their own laws and and future, but we're getting off topic mm, here. But the, mm. but you know, it's almost like the law of unintended consequence. Mm. Gene Roddenberry created uh, a ship full of people from different parts of the world. They all represent uh, a unified front, but occasionally they harken back to mm. where they came from, what they represent. You know, drinking vodka, drinking sake, mm. drinking whiskey. If those uh, drinks represent, you know, their backgrounds. But they do. They 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 like to identify with mm-hmm. where they are. Although um, Sulu said, referring to San Francisco, that that was where he was born. Right. So he yeah, didn't yeah. identify as being Japanese. No, he that's interesting. As, yeah. as American. Yeah. America. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we could move on briefly just to think about Englishness as well, yeah, because course. I mean that's the other thing is that you know we have, and I don't think we have, I mean, we have representations of England in terms of like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> you know oh, the world loads. of Sherlock Holmes and so on, but we don't. Yeah. But but we also have these characters. You know, we have uh, Kyle in the original series. Yeah. Yeah. We have Bashir. We have Reed, and there's something quite. I mean, I would say there is also a sense of a stereotype of Englishness in Star Trek because if you think of those three characters, they have a certain similarity between them. They're all a little bit kind of stiff, and mm. you, you, you know they play yeah. into a certain kind of stereotype of Sherlock Holmes. The birthplace of it is Scotland. Of course, that's you true. Know, that's bizarrely near point. my office yeah, yeah, yeah. is a Sherlock Holmes yeah. statue. Yeah. The local pub is Arthur Conan Doyle. Mm. I spent my 30th in a pub called Moriarty. Right. Everyone associates Sherlock with a, it's a very English thing, English very character, London, English yeah. gentleman, where it's like, well, this was written and by a Scot who then kind of moved. <laughs> after that round yeah. of drinks, yeah, you yeah. went to see Dr. Watson the next yeah, morning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was a, yeah. another story. But um, it's interesting, I mean, thinking about, <laughs> say, Bashir and Reed. And the way that their Englishness mm. kind of plays into that. I think th- there's less kind of explicit discussion of it, I suppose, in some ways compared to maybe to yeah. other characters, compared to, say, Scotty, who talks about being mm. Scottish a lot. But at the same time, it does sort of, I, I think particularly if you think of like early seasons, Bashir is a bit of a twit, he's yeah. a bit kind of annoying. A lot of that kind of, he, he's quite, there's an element of, on Deep Space Nine, he's this kind of, um, because there's there's that kind of conflict between him as the kind of, slightly naive I suppose it's what we talk about now as privilege yeah. you, know, you know between him right. and, and Major Kira for example yeah, he's the, the kind frontier, of from the yeah. wealthy old country right. in a sense and yeah and, and he's on the frontier and so on She's, she, she has that line about you know what, what you're calling the frontier that's my home mm-hmm. you, you know sort of emphasising that he has this kind of 
naive outlook, which I suppose we might associate with a kind of English colonial mm. attitude in some ways. I think that sort yeah. of kind of ties into that. And of course we have with Bashir, we have uh, the James Bond fantasy, yeah. which is very much kind of English and again, quite a sort of backwards yeah. English uh, kind of fantasy. But I think with Reed, it really becomes... I, I can't just to lay my cards on the table. Reed is by by miles my least favourite character in the whole of Star Trek. Yeah, I can't bear him. Yeah, I'm not I, a fan. I absolutely cannot stand him. Uh, but I think a certain amount of that is because he taps into this kind of stereotype of the sort of clipped, repressed uh, Englishman, you know. And he's all about his traditional family and his and, and they're, they're, they're I don't know, they've got some naval background and yeah. something. There's something about him that is to me a sort of. It is very much that kind of colonial English sort of. There's something. Well, they did quite portray it when his parents about came it. on board. They were very stiff upper lip, or almost didn't want to wish him a happy birthday. There was one episode where, it, yeah, it was it was his birthday, and they were they were trying to find out what his favourite food. Yes, was. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and they and they video called the parents. Yeah, and then yeah. you get that. I think yeah. you get that kind of almost. It's, it's late time. at night. You know, why yeah, you yeah. This out? <laughs> I know, you know, your son's on this dangerous mission. But I almost see it when you watch you like know. the the behind the scenes documentaries, and I almost think that it's worth the cost of the Blu-rays just for the documentaries alone. Mm. But then you get the actor um, who played Malcolm Tucker, who's talking about well, there was talk that they would make him a gay character. And it was like, oh. Malcolm Tucker, yeah, Malcolm from Tucker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> from the yeah. thick of it. Malcolm Reed. Not Malcolm, Malcolm Reed. <laughs> I only that say, would be a good cross. I only say that like I got into one in three was days. Was that when they? Was that when the, the, the scene we didn't see where they got married? I got. In the, in the chapel in Las Vegas. I got I got into London three days ago, and within five minutes, I saw a man doing an Ichi in a Vietnamese restaurant. Well, so, there you, go. you know, that's, that's, it's, it's Hollywood these, stars uh, everywhere. The Metropolitan elite, elite down here. But in the in, <laughs> yeah, the, in the Blu-ray, Malcolm Reed, not Tucker, um, Dominic Keating. Dominic Keating. Yeah, yeah. He says a thing that they were taught we would make him a gay character. He's like, absolutely, absolutely not. That is not happening whatsoever. And just that very much that sort of you know, there's that sort of traditional perhaps. British English person that would say something like that going oh and you're going to portray a gay character in this play you have to kiss him like, oh no I'm not doing that that's absolutely not happening and it just shows that sort of that kind of British person that we perhaps all know where it's like no I'm not doing that you know so do you think that's interesting so you I mean I, I, I agree I, I find those interviews quite uncomfortable but do you think that's a particularly English thing that I, kind of level of internalised what is almost comes out of the sort of you know the Brexit thing where we look at like the you know, when we look at how it all kind of panned out, you see something like Scotland, where I think it was all yellow. Mm. Yellow represented state. So that whole mm. top to north. And then you've got London, all yellow as well. So that these kind of cultural thing. And then you see a lot of the other areas. And then it's the types of views we hear people about, that inclusion when it goes to some sort of back town or something, or mm. a location where it's like, what's your thoughts on Europe, people coming over, Romania joining? What's your views on changing culture? And it's like, I don't agree with that. And we, we get, there's that people like that in Scotland as well. But when, when you hear like a character that's very much based around being stiff upper lip, traditional, you know, military service, and then you have the actor then kind of in that same mold where it's like, why would I make this character gay? That makes absolutely no sense that the two can't homogenize, you know, paints into that idea of, well, that's sort of some of the English people we've been seeing in the past few years, whether it's a Nigel Farage or someone like that, not saying they represent England, but they perhaps represent that type of English character that we're mm. seeing represented on screen, that stiff upper lip. No, no, we couldn't have this character portrayed this way. No, this is how I am, you know, union flags, all that sort of military. Traditional yeah, sort of, yeah. Absolutely. No, that's true. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, yeah. That Can kind we... of uh, 
toxic, toxic we, Englishness, we uh -huh. might say. Can we talk about the greatest living Irishman who served on a starship? Oh, yeah. Who's that? O'Reilly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to come back to him. Yeah. Why are you really? I, I'm I sorry. Sort of, <laughs> no, no, no. It's a good point. I, although I, I have, yeah. Okay. He, he's up there with Reed, probably. <laughs> my, <laughs> on my probably. list. I've just got him ahead. Yeah. Yeah, One yeah. more time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. He really uh, played it up. And, uh, he did. Yeah. 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 Of, all yeah. The, uh, of all the people who were uh, a stereotypical Irish actor or playing mm. an Irish character, his is the one. That was most human. Uh, his was the one that I <laughs> forgive the most, really, but because it was so funny. And yeah, it was. Fun. it was funny. It was funny. You know. Yeah, but he was seriously annoying. <laughs> but I wonder whether, I mean, just to be a bit more serious for a minute, I wonder whether the kind of elephant in the room in some of these conversations is about is around class, because mm. really what we get with the English characters is they're quite they come across, they read as quite upper-class characters, yeah. at least. I mean, uh, certainly Reed comes across as this quite sort of, you, you, you know, upper-class character. Bashir, I would say, comes across as a kind of upper-class character until we meet his parents. And then it's yeah. kind of interesting because we're learning about the extent to which Bashir is not who he said he was and he's kind of been reinvented genetically. <coughs> and certainly when you meet his father, you get this sense that there's some kind of... Um, there's a sort of socially aspirant element mm. to that. Do you know what I mean? Like was he an architect or something? I can't remember what he was. No, but I'm just thinking in terms of his accent and, so mm -hmm. on, and his whole sort of demeanour is very different. He's not the kind of stiff upper lip. Yeah. He's just trying to chase that next... Exactly. And, and, uh. and the father is always trying to... Yes, exactly. He's always got a new project on the go. He's always doing something new. Mm. It's, it's, he's like that kind of stereotype yeah. of the kind of trying to become more respectable or become more successful or become I think it's one of these whatever, things whereas like, Bashir's kind of managed it. They always say class is a British invention yeah. and, and America never had America's not a class thing whereas mm. it's something it's very much changed mm. now but Britain if you associate with it be like oh you've got the upper class you know you hear people when you go there it's bizarre seeing more you know we're a stone's throw away from Buckingham Palace here and you've got the odd bit of you know shop that advertise mm. it whereas you go to America and you walk down the street and next to Time Magazine is this celebrity thing telling you all about what's happening with the culture there you know what's the Queen doing you know who's marrying who princes and that and it seems to romanticise there in America this class structure whereas right. here less so yeah, we see it as a toxic yeah. kind of thing and, yeah. and in America now class is becoming a more predominant thing you know working class middle class you know this is being squeezed out working class being associated with certain type of voters all these sort of things so it seems very much a change in kind of how it's viewed I think but I think maybe the difference also is that in America so, so yes you might have a kind of working class identity that would be a positive thing but at the same time there's more of a tendency to group everyone into the middle class as much as yeah. possible somehow. And also there's an idea that it's it's definitely good to be moving mm -hmm. in that direction. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Whereas here I think there might be more... It's more complicated, I suppose, because traditionally we don't like the upper classes yeah. very much. There's a kind of... You know, there's more sympathy towards the other, the other kind of end of the scale. I mean, I don't know whether I'm just thinking, say, Bashir, you know, it's things like the fact that he's got a teddy bear. Mm -hmm. It's the kind, it's that kind of element of the upper classes, slightly yeah. infantilized, slightly kind of, um, you, you wouldn't see any of the American characters in Star Trek, uh, valuing their teddy bear in that way, in that kind of childish, whereas there is something that's seen as a bit, you know, the, the kid who's, who's looked after by their nanny and sent mm. off to boarding school and all that sort of thing. There's a whole yeah. sort of repertoire of, of stereotypes oh. again sort of in the background there that um, that kind of feed in 
one way or another mm. into that kind of characterization. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, we have Bashir and O'Brien. It's a great sort of Anglo, uh, Anglo-Irish friendship, you know, and the fact that they can sing Jerusalem together or, you know, who knows what else they get uh, on to together. Singing the Black and Tans and yeah, the yeah. night and stuff. And this, of course, this was in the 90s as well, you know, when yeah. I guess the peace process was going on and so on. Yeah. Actually, that was quite a nice... You could see that as quite a positive step that, you know, they started off in this very antagonistic relationship, uh, the Irishman and the, and the Englishman who didn't get on at all. And then they end up being, you know, the best friends that we have in Star Trek, mm. really. Yeah, it, it's very deep. I mean, to the general public, there is a perceived animosity between Irish people and English people. But on a personal level, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we all get along. Mm. Um, I obviously, as an Irish person, live in England and have lived for a great deal of time. Mm. And I've gone back to Ireland and met people from Yorkshire in the west of Ireland running bars. Um, Mm. So there is a a crossover. In fact, I think even during the 90s, there was an economic boom in Ireland. And a lot of the workers, uh, our people going there for jobs, were going there not because they could get a job, but because the pay scale was was better. It's a role reversal of what it was previously yeah. that, you know, you could see England from Ireland and it was always like, you know, over there is the best. Is an opportunity. Yeah. Or, yeah. And then, you know, obviously yeah. with Scotland as well, that, you know, we talk about Ireland went over to, to America. Well, Ireland yeah. came over a lot to Scotland, the West Coast as well. So very much like everyone's always been kind of mm-hmm. moving along, you know, in Scotland there was issues, but people would move south. It's, you know, train spotting, one of the famous movies that mm-hmm. describes Scottish culture. You know, when the character wants to escape the despair of Scotland, he goes to uh, uh, London to take part in that economic boom, you know, the mm-hmm. property market and everything like that. And then when he returns, things go to hell really and stuff mm. like that so it's, it's always been that thing that England sometimes is what pulls us all all to down it's interesting when you're saying that about people getting on you know socially or whatever I mean I was in Ireland over Christmas and um, several people said to me uh, when I came back oh you know did you get any hostility over Brexit mm-hmm. uh, which, which kind of took me by surprise because what I did notice was there were a lot of people quite anxious about Brexit in Ireland because of the impact that it yeah. might have on Ireland but I certainly never thought I mean, maybe they just, you know, assumed rightly that I didn't vote for it. But at the same time, there wasn't any kind of that. I didn't feel any of that directed at me. Do you know what I mean? I felt it was a kind of, it was an issue that was in the air. But so I suppose, but but these things are interesting. You, you know, it is possible to be in a situation where you're kind of, there are, there's kind of political tension, but not necessarily mm. on a, you, you, you know, those, those relationships can still be positive on a, one-to-one level or yeah. on a kind of interpersonal level and, and certainly Star Trek really need to that, be. you'd really need to have a degree in, in philosophy to be able to discuss why people think Brexit would affect them mm-hmm. in Ireland mm-hmm. I, I personally can't understand this if a country wants to uh, stand up and say uh, we wish to be independent of all these you know various rules and regulations well, it's to do with borders and hard yes, borders exactly, and southern exactly, borders and all these things. Why people in another country would find that objectionable? Yeah, um, they've got challenges in their own country that need sorting out. Don't be looking to another country to you know figure out what those guys are doing. That's mm. kind of. Somehow. So then, is that are we not hypocrites of that? That I, I was mentioning off short, like off the air here. That like I was in America a few months ago, and everyone's always quick to say, "Oh." Scottish grandparents, Scottish relatives, yeah, and all that sort of yeah. stuff. And so, what do you guys make a Trump over there? And you know, we come out and it's like, well, we think this, 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 and this. We find maybe this abhorrent, all these sorts of things. But then 
you almost before where it'd be like say during the Bush times, for example, there's a lot of sneering at mm. America. You know, this guys and cowboys and idiot. Here we are, all buddied up with them. You know, we're clearly above this sort of thing. Whereas now that sort of you know the idea that we can sneer at other nations and how they conduct themselves. Yeah. Like, well, I say that, but you know, at the end of the time, we're having a bit of a yeah. bad time as well <laughs> with true, Brexit. So true, yeah. just ignore me and stuff like that. You yeah. know, the, the idea that you, the we've UK, lost our moral yeah, high ground. Well, that's that what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. That's why yeah. I, I say you, you really need um, a, a degree in philosophy to be able to understand why we feel it's okay to say those guys over there, what a bunch of idiots. We're yeah. okay. Not realizing that those guys over there looking at us and saying, "What a bunch mm. of idiots! We're okay," mm. and so it goes round in a circle. Mm. But as to what generates it and where it becomes, I, goodness only knows. I, I, you know, and it's very difficult to discuss, and especially on a, you know, mm. a short podcast like like we're doing right now, which is meant to be about Star Trek, <laughs> <laughs> about not Star Trek. about Brexit. I'd and like Trump to ask a question, but yeah, and maybe yeah, yeah. just change subject. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm imagining Captain Picard. Uh, or rather Patrick Stewart, how he would have played the role if he had chosen to uh, speak in a French accent, didn't drink Earl Grey tea, but uh, maybe had uh, coffee, uh, had a baguette for lunch, uh, all the stereotypes coming out here, popped the cork of a champagne bottle now and mm. again, or had a quiet Bordeaux. With- Which must have been... In some ways, I mean, it's going a bit far to say that that was what was in their mind when they created the character. But the fact is, they did create a French character, mm-hmm. and they weren't sure that they wanted an English actor to play yeah. him. It's interesting. I've just been listening to the audio book on on Audible of the new Dayton Ward uh, oh, yes. discovery novel, which I'm enjoying. I mean, like, I'm enjoying the novel; it's great, but. The guy who narrates it appears to be under the impression that Captain Giorgio has a French accent, which I guess he's deduced yeah. from a surname. So, which so all of isn't them, French. No, except, well, I don't know. It, it's, it sounds sort of Romanian Greek. Is yeah. it? Well, it's well anyway. Well, maybe it's my tin ear, but it certainly doesn't sound like Michel Yeo. To me, it sounds like a French accent that the guy is doing. But, um, but so, so I suppose there is that sort of question about what kind of accent do you put on these things? And obviously, Patrick Stewart clearly took the view. I'm just going to play this as Patrick Stewart. Do you know what I mean? And I'm going to do this as if... And, and, and like we said with the Earl Grey tea, they sort of played into that and the kind of... You know, I mean, think of his fantasy in Generations. It's kind of Victorian English yeah. family Christmas. You know, there's, there's, there's really nothing kind of culturally French about Picard apart from yeah. the wine and, you know, when he goes back home. But then even the rest of his family are all English as well. So but it's this weird sort of... Maybe that's where that globalisation will come from, where we talk about these characters. Yeah. We think they're American, but actually they're from here. Maybe they're just all from that kind of planet. And it, everything becomes, you know, you see it now, like more, especially in the 90s, British culture, you know, with the infusion of you know, cable television, American culture is being beamed into everyone's house. You know, the internet has made everything feel so much smaller. I mean, I work in mental health and I work with some individuals that have got, you know, are very housebound. And the, what they find interesting is they'll watch videos of like people playing games or watching something like My Little Pony reacting to it, you know, these usual reaction videos. I remember turning up at someone's house that one day to do some work with them, and then this American accent. Where in America are you from? Oh, I'm from here in Edinburgh. But the infusion of all that culture coming in had physically changed wow. someone who had never left Edinburgh into this American-style accent from what they were watching. And he's not the only one that I've encountered that's like that. And it, mm-hmm. maybe this idea keep adding a hundred odd years onto it you know you can transport to america in a day you know I, i've come here down to london four hours on the train 
hour on the back on the flight. Mm. If I could come here every weekend, how would my accent continue to evolve? Oh. And my appreciate if I could go to New Zealand, America all the time, as if as if I'm going to my local shop. Mm. How would I continue to evolve as a person? Would I consider myself Scottish, or would I consider myself someone that lives in Scotland, but? Work. I work, you know, in Chicago Monday to Friday, transport back, and then on the weekend I go for a night out in Japan before coming back, and it all just amounts. That's an interesting point, and th- and therefore, what is your kind of cultural heritage, and what does it mean? Because then maybe everyone becomes, you know, what we see in America, the idea of okay, so yeah, I live in Boston, I have all my life, and I've never been mm-hmm. to Ireland, but I essentially feel I'm Irish, yeah. even though the, do, do you know what I mean? Even though, like no, from I, a European I, I perspective, that maybe seems strange. Yeah. But then maybe it's true if you know, if we, once we have transporters and everyone can travel around mm. the world at will, maybe that becomes more important in terms of working out who you are. Mm-hmm. That these kind of cultural, this sort of cultural background becomes significant. You, you know, so you know whether that's. Captain Janeway having these kind of Irish roots or, you, you know, or Captain Picard, it doesn't seem French, uh, having a bottle of French wine on the mm-hmm. shelf or, you, you know, whatever that is. Or anything. Didn't even celebrate Bastille Day. I mean, come on. Well, they don't celebrate go. Christmas, so... <laughs> <you know. laughs> well, I suppose they did. Yeah, yeah kind of. That flashback. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My big um, question, though, uh, just to kind of bring things probably towards a close, is... Um, where are the Welsh people in Star Trek? Yeah, you know where's 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 the extra seat? The boy we've got an empty seat at this table. You know what's going on there? <laughs> the and, and is that because there's there, there because there wasn't the same degree of Welsh migration to the states? Uh, it's maybe one of the things. It's, when we think of say Scotland and Ireland, for example, what is that? Per- what do we show out to the world? Yeah, Ireland, Guinness. The amount of money mm-hmm. that goes into sort of the, like St Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. You've got holidays that are almost globalized you go to america That's true, you've yeah. got the parades you know you go to america which is bizarre because you know you have a police officer that dies here mm. normal funeral you have someone that dies on sort of the east coast you've got the bagpipes everyone's marching <laughs> on down like yeah. we've sent our culture around to the other parts of the world and monopolized on it you know come to scotland this is where you want ireland you project people project this image of guinness come home you know all it's it's a financial thing england as well you know we talk about books and literature you know harry potter it's a scottish thing but it's almost associated with come to this england the home of harry potter all these mm. things people will come there but wales perhaps doesn't have that thing where they can monopolize that this is our culture mm. and what we can perhaps globalize you know come here this is our incentive or this is the part of our culture that's now infused in america and you know whether it's the bagpipes at a funeral whether it's saint patrick's day on the east coast all these different things mm. and i think maybe that's something that's missing from wales than they're never the quite exported in the same way no, I don't oh, no think. that's it's not true. true because um swansea cardiff was the greatest um ex- exporter of tin and um copper uh, out, out sure, I, mean, I, d- I don't mean literally. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've never exported culturally in the oh, same I way see. as yeah, maybe sorry, Scotland and Ireland and England, mm. you, you yeah. know, have in some I way. They're, they're more... Yeah, exp- yeah, 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 yeah. And what I guess, you know, you know, in England, maybe we... Th- I don't know. You know, in terms of science fiction, Cardiff obviously is where Doctor Who comes yeah. from, and you you, know, you do get a bit of Welsh mm-hmm. representation in Doctor Who as a result because every now and then they do an episode yeah. set in Cardiff. But I mean. You definitely don't get the same extent of no. kind of, you know, even though there is Welsh nationalism. I mean, if mm-hmm. you look politically, there are, you, you know, Welsh nationalist politics yes. in the same way as there are, you know, Scottish nationalist politics or, you know, Ireland, obviously more complicated. But I mean, and England, you know, English mm-hmm. nationalist politics. But 
it's interesting. I wonder why that doesn't translate, and I wonder whether in in America do does the concept of Welshness even really exist in the same way as the concept? But sometimes of I think people or, don't do it. You'll Scottish get it where it's like, oh, Scotland. The associate is just it's part of England. Everything's mm. part of England. Oh, you're from England, are you? Well, mm. no, I'm part of Scotland. We're part yeah, of the yeah. United Kingdom. Yeah. You think a country that is based around states would get the idea that oh, yeah, you're from <laughs> Scotland, but you're part of like it's yeah. that. I think sometimes there is that confusion in America about what actually is right. these people yeah, are yeah, we yeah. a united kingdom or are we just you know well and maybe these quite cartoonish stereotypes help to differentiate in some yeah. ways because i mean you know the the scotland of sub rosa is kind of quite it's quite distinct at yeah. least you know the island of fairhaven is quite distinct it's quite kind of easy to hmm. get to grips with whereas maybe in the real world you know like you say you know you're up in you're at home in scotland and then you hop on a flight and you're down in london and you're back and forth and you're doing mm-hmm. this sort of thing you know life is more a bit more intermingled, yeah. you know, a bit more complicated. Well, maybe oh. that's uh, a, a good point for us to, to wrap things <laughs> up today. We've proved that here, where you know, of us we all are again. I think Before we, we all... With, uh, <laughs> have you got ending words? I was thinking of Gorkon saying, I think we've all got a long, long way to go. Oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, I was thinking we should all, you know, have a, a rendition of Jerusalem, really. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, you know, before, before we go off <laughs> to, to sing Jerusalem together. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lee, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you yeah. uh, on the internet? Yeah, you can find me um, on Twitter at Lee underscore Nostromo. You can find me on my own podcast, Filibuster, where it's talking about movie and geek culture, uh, interviews with people involved in literature, film and behind the scenes, um, and looking at different film festivals around the UK. And Tony, what about you? Right, well... That's a deep breath. That sounds like there's going to be a lot of clocks coming. No, exclusively on Trek FM, uh, you'll find me hosting Continuing Mission, where we discuss what fans are doing to keep Star Trek alive uh, by making fan-made movies. And Twitter, Shamrock165, there you go. How Irish is that? Duncan's English Rose. Yeah, yeah, English Rose uh, 26. No, and you can find me on Twitter at Barrett's Books uh, if you see no nationalism. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been great fun, both of you. Thank you both uh, for joining me. And um, to our listeners, uh, Englishness, Irishness, Scottishness in Star Trek is not the only thing we've been talking about this week. So here's a listen to what else you might have missed on the Trek FM network. Previously on Trek.fm, Literary Treks. But let's start with that first one, that Siege in Superspace. So, oh boy. Superspace, I I don't know, is this is this better than subspace? Is it... Well, I think it this? is. I, the thing I, I really love about this issue is we haven't had uh, many stories at all about superspace. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Right. So, okay, they're under orders. They're not supposed to talk about, it, and that's how they—that's how you maintain the continuity. That Kirk and Spock are surprised that there's a mirror universe. I mean, that works. That—that—that that, that makes sense. But these people were there. They know that there's doppelgangers there because they know that because Cadet Tilly became Captain Killy. Right? They know. They know this. To the journey. There was a lot of face melting in this episode. You're right. <laughs> Everyone's melting. What a world! What a world! It was, yeah, and everybody was slightly looking. Why were they so sweaty? Why? Seven of Nine had this full-on board queen look about her. She did, and who else was really sweaty looking besides Seven? Neelix was really sweaty looking. Yeah, well, yeah, I thought. he was. And he had kind of a silver tone. He had the silver blood. He did. Like, through. he was distinguished. Distinguished melting Neelix. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, he got a buff and polish. <laughs> <laughs> the 602 Club. No, I I mean, it was really all we had was like animated shows. Like you had like the animated Batman series, the animated Superman series. And uh, as far as the big screen went, it was not so great. I mean, you had Blade. Blade was... Some people cite Blade as kind of the precursor for the superhero genre picking back up, but it was very much kind of a, a genre film. I don't, I know technically it is a comic book film. I don't know if I'd count it in the realm of like big budget superhero movies. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners' group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Primitive Culture. That'll come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. You can also find all three hosts of Primitive Culture on Twitter. Uh, myself, Duncan Barrett, at Barrett's Books. Clara Cook on at Clara Jean MC. And our co-host, Tony Black, on at AJ Black Writer. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trek.fm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trek.fm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. So thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Primitive Culture. We'll be back soon to discuss more history, culture, and how Star Trek relates to it. You're blended already.